You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Hi guys, welcome. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning on Remembrance Sunday, where we honour and, and remember those who went before us uh, who, to give us freedom and liberty in the great wars. And so we do that this morning. And we are working our way through this series where we're asking the question, who is Jesus and why should I care? And we started unpacking some of the history and story of Jesus uh, and some of the attributes of his character and the miracles that he has performed and that he continues to perform. And I'm going to speak today about religion and about the religious context of Jesus' day. Uh, we're going to look at how he challenged the legalist, legalism and the self-righteousness that was around him and how he's still challenging religious thought and action today and how the religion that he started is different from any other. And I just want to set out some context before we get to the passage which we're going to read, which today is in Luke 6, uh, because I think it's really important, especially if you're just hearing this for the first time. Hopefully you've managed to catch up with the first message that Jess shared. Uh, she spoke about the story running through the Bible from creation to the birth of Jesus. And this story is the Old Testament as we have it in the Bible. And uh, this story is basically the story of Judaism. And it's a story that is also historical documentation of the Jewish heritage. And Christianity is essentially the child of Judaism. As a religion, it comes out of Judaism. From far back within this story, the, the Jewish people were expecting a Messiah, uh, which means an anointed one, a saviour to come. And there were prophecies about this happening within the Jewish community. But they got a bit confused about what they expected him to do when he arrived, when he arrived uh, or even how he would arrive or how he would act. And we believe that that person is Jesus. He's the saviour. He is the person that the Jews were expecting. And the Jews were a special people who'd lived in communion with God for thousands of years and he called them his special possession and he set them apart from other people. And the reason that Jesus is so important is that here's the same God who's saying now, I'm going to come to you, to the world, through Jesus, who's the embodiment of God on earth. And all other people are going to be able to meet me, to come to a relationship with me. And I was trying to think of an example of how this worked. And what I thought of was that, you know, in Scotland, we've got these incredible old castles um, all over the place, as most of you know. And uh, inside, some of them are really remarkable and beautiful. But often there's a lot of them that you can't go into. You know, they're privately owned. Uh, they've been passed down through families for generations and generations. And so you've got like a few people who are able to live there and to enjoy these wonderful uh, places and, and everyone else isn't able to see in them or go in them. But what often happens now is uh, organisations like Historic Scotland will go in and, uh, and they'll buy them and they'll open the doors and let everybody go in and see the castles and experience the splendour and the beauty of these places. And this is like an example of, of what I just described. It's no longer reserved for the few. Um, this is what happened with Judaism and the coming of Jesus. God had been communing with and in relationship with 
few people for a long period of time. But when Jesus comes, he's saying, no more will this be reserved for just some people. I'm going to make it so that all people have the chance to have a relationship with me and ultimately with God the Father, uh, to experience him in all of his splendour and his majesty. And this is the same God of the Jews. And I suppose the Jewish leaders of the time were basically like the owners of, of these castles uh, who didn't want to open the door. And they'd kept things like a certain way, that you know, the proper way, for a long period of time. And they just couldn't see that something better was coming. Jesus is the fulfilment of the story of the Old Testament. He's the one that they were looking for and that they were waiting for. Uh, the same God that they'd been worshipping for thousands of years was coming to them, approachable and in the form of a man. Uh, but when he came to them, the majority of them rejected him. In John 1.11 it says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And mostly it's because they got a bit confused about what they expected him to do when he arrived, or how he would arrive and act when he came. They were probably expecting him to come like a king, uh, with pomp and ceremony, and probably a bit like uh, in Aladdin, where uh, he arrives, you know, with all those elephants and dancing men and with swords and um, people carrying him up high. Uh, they probably weren't expecting him to come as a baby, as a weak infant. And they expected him to battle the physical, political forces that were oppressing the nation at the time, the Romans. But instead he came in peace, and with a message of peace, a love, and a call to repentance. And he arrived and he acted in a lonely, uh, a, lone, a lowly manner. Um, but he challenged the hearts and the minds of people instead of challenging the oppressors. And the religious leaders of the time were so caught up in religious practices and traditions, in legalism and self-righteousness, uh, that they couldn't see who he was. The very people who thought they were doing great uh, and being really spiritual, and who were watching for him, couldn't see him standing in front of their faces. Instead, it's fishermen and common people who start to take notice of who Jesus is. And, I, I, you know, I'm generalising there that they all missed it, because some of them saw who he was, and we have an example of that in Luke 2, where this guy Simeon, who's been waiting and watching for him, he sees him, even as a young child, he sees who Jesus is. And you can read that in Luke 2. So Jesus was a Jew. Uh, he was born into that story, to that religion. Uh, he had significant heritage that is traced all the way back through the Old Testament and ultimately to God. And by the sounds of it, he was a good Jew. Um, he knew all the scriptures well. It was tradition for boys to learn large parts of the Torah in those days and as they were growing up. And in Luke 2, again, you can read there where you see Mary and Joseph accidentally leave him in Jerusalem. And when they go back to find him, he's just chilling in the temple and he's chatting to all the religious leaders. And it says that they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And I suppose it's, it's kind of the equivalent of a, a random 12-year-old strolling through the Houses of Parliament and uh, given all our politicians good ideas about how they should be running the country. And you'd probably be surprised at that. Although, <laughs> actually, at the moment, maybe that would be really useful. Um, it probably might be more use. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were referred to as Pharisees, and uh, they were devout, educated, serious Jews. And they were serious about their faith. And it's no wonder, really, that they could trace their heritage back, way back in the Old Testament as well. 
And part of the reason that their religion and their practices had survived was because of the dedication of their ancestors to stick into the line, uh, to observe in the practices that they'd been passed down. And at some point, though, they, they'd lost sight of the major reasons why they did things, and why they observed sacred ways. As I said earlier, that thousands of years earlier, God had set them apart to be a different and special people, to be in relationship with him. Uh, in that, he'd set out uh, these ways, these laws for them to help them to behave and to honour him. And the communities around them were doing the worst, most evil things imaginable. And through the law, God was saying, don't, don't indulge in those things if you want to be set apart from me. But the most important thing all the way through was not the keeping of the rule, but the spirit with which you did something. Um, but over the centuries, these devout religious guys had turned that rule keeping into absolute obsession. And they were completely obsessed with the rules. And with the idea that you you did things to please God the most uh, and not, you know, it, what was important, sorry, was how you did things to please God and not the heart in which you did them. So even something that they knew that could be good, uh, they would call it a sin if it didn't fit in with their exacting standards. And Jesus constantly and consistently challenged this attitude in, in his ministry. All the way through the gospel, he was always doing things that, um, that didn't fit with his ideal and, and the keeping of the rules that these holy men had. And this is where we find ourselves in Luke. This is all the context and the setting for this next moment in the life of Jesus. So we're looking in Luke 6, 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn and rub them in their hands and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you ever read what David did when his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man who was there, whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for some reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew that they were what they were thinking, and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good? or to do evil, to save life, or to destroy it. He looked around at them, and then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious, and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This passage in Luke is one of the occasions of this challenge. Uh, Jesus is calling out the religious leaders on their self-righteousness. They can't see beyond the rule to the person. The Jewish law held the Sabbath as a special holy day where you were not meant to work on it. And uh, the whole idea of the Sabbath was meant to be that you set aside some of your time from your work to rest and to give to worship and to spend time with God and basically to honour God. And the Pharisees had twisted this into a rule keeping exercise like most other parts of the law. 
and instead of something that challenges the individual and the heart in how you spend your time, uh, they've made it into a contest of trying to make themselves look the holiest, judging everyone around them who lifted a hand to anything they deemed working and, uh, and calling them out as less worthy because they didn't follow the rules. And Jesus often seems to almost directly provoke them on uh, particularly to do with the Sabbath. Uh, this group of guys called the Pharisees, they're watching him all the time and they're trying to trip him up and call him out on the obsessive rules that they're trying to keep to. And they perceive to be the right way to please God. By doing certain things or not doing certain things on certain days, it's totally entrenched in their thinking. And Jesus completely flies in the face of this. In the first instance, he, he challenged the ridiculousness of them trying to say he shouldn't eat a piece of corn uh, because they judged picking it and rubbing it together with your hands to be work, uh, which you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. And, and he tells them that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And this is really clever because he's indirectly saying, I'm God, I'm Lord over the rules because I'm God. Um, but, you know, if he'd actually just said, I'm God, they probably would have stoned him in that moment. And uh, so he knew he kind of had to indirectly say, I'm God. So he says this phrase, son of man. Um, and they'd have known what that meant, but it was enough to th kind of throw them. They'd have been thinking, what is he talking about? Um, it was really interesting language to use. They'd have known by this language and this phrase that he used uh, that that's what he meant, though. It's kind of like saying it without saying it. Uh, and in the second instance, he heals this man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees deem that to be work. And so Jesus is directly provoking them here. He says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And he's saying here pretty much directly, don't you guys see that you're missing the point? Uh, you've become so narrow-minded in your attempts to please God by works, uh, which you think are right, that you would not do something good on a certain day for fear of breaking the rules. You'd reject something that's good, something which heals and restores as an offence to God because it's on a certain day. You've lost the plot. And I also love how he heals this man. He actively asks for him to stand up so that everybody can see. And he doesn't even say, be healed like elsewhere in scripture. He just says, stretch out your hand and the man's healed. And the Pharisees lose their minds. Um, it says they were furious because they were so entrenched in these rules that they can't see beyond it. Jesus challenges the heart. Uh, he challenges into the core of what's going on spiritually. He's not interested in taking down the Romans. He's interested in bringing the truth, the true kingdom of heaven to earth. And this is why his words are still so relevant 2,000 years later. They challenge so deep into our hearts and our minds. And this is ultimately why the Pharisees couldn't accept him. He wasn't who they were expecting. He didn't teach what they taught. He didn't act right according to the rules that they had confused and morphed into something that was so far from the intention uh, that it made them blind and angry at seeing the restoration and renewal of life as somehow sinful. Is this not how the world sees and perceives religion today? It's, it, I feel like it's so relevant today to right now. Even the, world, the word religion has really bad connotations. 
Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that word, but people perceive that it's about doing good things to get to God. It's about being good for reward, about self-righteous people looking down their noses at others, about keeping the rules or else. And being a Christian is not about those things. <clears throat> it's about the opposite. It's about realising I'm a sinner, that we're all sinners, that I'm no good, but that I'm no good without him and following Jesus is the only way to leave my sin behind. Jesus challenged the attitude of those around him uh, who were thought they were trying to get it right. The statement he made in that moment is one that echoes through his teachings, which is that he cared more about loving and healing and renewing that man's hand than keeping the rules to look like he's doing the right thing, but not actually caring at all. He's not about what we can offer him. He's all about what he was willing to do for us to make us right with God. No amount of rule keeping or doing good things or anything we think we can possibly offer to God is, is of any real true value uh, compared with trusting in the person of Christ and what he did to, for us to make us right with God once and for all by dying on the cross, by taking our sin upon himself and rising again to new life. We can never achieve righteousness on our own. And what that means is, on our own, just trying in our own strength, we can never be morally right or justifiable before God, except through Christ. Christianity is not about doing good things to get something. It's not based on works. Jesus challenged the ideas of his day about keeping to the rules to try and please God, but missing the point about what's in your heart. And he's still challenging those ideas now. Every other religion is based on things, doing things a certain way to receive. You've got to pay up front and you'll never know if you're going to pay enough. It's like really bad wonga loans. <laughs> Jesus offers us to freely receive the gift of grace. Uh, not that we can do anything to deserve him, but what he has done to redeem us. Even the action of receiving him, receiving the free gifts, even that in itself is not the thing that we did to make us right. It's all about what he did for us. I just want to refer back to an earlier passage in Luke 5, where Jesus calls a man um, who's a tax collector. And for the context, again, tax collectors were really looked down on in this society uh, and they were really deemed to be ungodly um, and thieves. And in Luke 5, 27, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here he again, he's being questioned by the Pharisees, uh, by the allegedly upright of society, about his behaviour because he was spending time with the lowest in society, the down-outs, the misfits and the unwanted. 
And the Pharisees would never have gone near them because they deemed them to be sinners. And Jesus' response is that that's who he came for. That's who he came to save. He came to save all of us sinners to repent and to receive him and to be reconnected with God. And again, he's challenging the heart of the Pharisees in that here because they know that uh, although they appear to be acting really right, they're sinners as well and they need salvation. And the way they act is just a facade that's hiding their own sins in judgmental self-righteousness. Jesus came to call sinners like you and me to repentance. God made himself man to walk among us, to heal, to restore, to love us and to reconnect us with himself by taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins upon himself at the cross. That's who Jesus is. He's the friend of sinners like me and you. Why should we care? Because no amount of good deeds, no amount of rule keeping, no amount of religious action or ceremony, no amount of kind thoughts or good vibes or sacrifice of time or gold or silver or resources or anything else that we can offer can reconnect us with God. It's only through the repentance of our hearts, the surrender of our will, and receiving and recognising Jesus as Lord and Saviour that we can reconnect with God. It's not about what you can do for him, it's about what he has done for you. But you must decide ultimately if he is who he says he is. There can be no sitting on the fence with this. Uh, He doesn't leave room for us to think of him as just this great moral teacher and the founder of religion. He's just so much more than that. And he referred to himself as a son of man, as God. How can we just take his teachings as moral pointers? He's got to either be crazy or be God, uh, but nothing in between. As C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Please examine the evidence for the authenticity of the Gospels. Examine the evidence for the events of Jesus' life. I've examined lots of it, and I can assure you that it points overwhelmingly in the direction that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And if that's true, what are you going to do about it? You can use all your logic and reason and evidence to try and figure it out. You can use it all to try and figure out if he is who he said he is. But there comes a point where you're going to have to step out in faith and trust him and receive him in order to enter into a relationship with him forever. And if you're interested in this, if you want more information about how to look into the evidence of the Gospels, I can recommend some resources. Uh, Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, is a great book. And if you're really nerdy, you could try Evidence That Demands a Verdict by uh, Josh McDowell. Bless you guys. 
and I hope to see you soon and uh, hope you have a great Sunday.